Given and Giving, God's Perfect Perspective on Possessions. Let's begin our study with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask that you would give us an appreciation of what you have given to us. Help us understand the particular role that you give us now that you've given us possessions. Help us honor you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wealth. So, are you wealthy? When you think of the concept of wealth, you might have a number in your mind that says, if I had this much money, then I would be wealthy. What would that number be? Is it a million dollars, or half a million dollars, or a billion dollars? I think many people, when they think about this, might imagine that if I had a million dollars, then I would be rich. What's interesting is if in America, in particular, uh, one thinks about what it would take to be rich. It can be helpful to consider what the Lord has blessed so many with and, and how, um, well, for example, in the United States, the median income, so that means not the average, but 50% of the people make more than this and 50% make less. The median income, I think it's household, but I'm not 100% sure. I was trying to track down the statistics and I think this is right to, for household income. But the median Household income is $63,000 a year, approximately. If one makes the minimum wage in the United States, and now that's been changing um, in recent past, but let's say $725, which is way low, it's almost double that now, I think, as far as what people are actually making. But at $725 an hour, you'd make about $15,000 a year. So 63,000 median, $15,000 if you earn the minimum wage, or if it's double that, $15 an hour, now we're talking about $30,000 a year. Do you know what the median income is when you take into account everyone around the world? $2,000 a year. Now we recognize that there are other things that can play into this. Perhaps someone has a subsistence living where they are getting most of what they live off of from a field or a farm. But still, $2,000 puts those who are making $63,000 a year into a 30 times the median income of the world. In fact, if one would take the median income in the United States and put it in the context of the entire world, those earning that amount are in the 0.17 percentile, the top of all in the world. In other words, it's like one-tenth the one-tenth of the top one percent, that's where so many are. Even if you would go with the minimum wage at $7.25 an hour, that still puts you earning more than 92.2% of the households in the entire world. That's wealth. And when one thinks about wealth, one can have different thoughts come into their mind, saying like, oh no, like that, well now that makes me feel bad. And, and, and I think people can feel guilty sometimes if they have been blessed with wealth. What, what reasons might you have for feeling guilty? Um, you might think about the wrong things you're doing with your wealth, and that would be an appropriate reason for guilt, but you may almost feel like it's just wrong to have money, like there must be something inherently bad about having possessions. If you were to think about then 
whether it's correct to say that guilt about possessions is proper, especially when you recognize how many may have less than you, you may just feel very uncomfortable. The guilt, it can be proper, depending on how the gifts that we've been given are used, depending on the attitude we have toward them. But one of our questions is whether inherently wealth is a reason to feel guilt. One of the characters of the Bible that can offer us some perspective on this question is Abraham, or as he was known at the beginning of his life, Abram. Just consider these words from Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. So first of all, God made him a promise. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Then, verse 5. Abram took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had, they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Genesis 12, 16 and 20. Abram had gone to Egypt. Pharaoh treated Abram well for his wife's sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. Then Pharaoh, and this was after it was revealed that Abraham had just claimed that Abram had claimed that his wife was really his sister, and that put his wife at risk, but Pharaoh was being nice to Abram because um, of Sarah, who he thought was Abram's sister, but was really it's a mess. Genesis 12, you can read all about it. But when that was all done, Pharaoh gave orders about Abram and his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So he took all of these possessions he had gained in Egypt and brought them along with him. And then Genesis 13, 2, Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. Abram was rich. By any measure, Abram was rich. And one then can wonder, well, wait a second, um, if you have possessions, shouldn't you feel a little bit uncomfortable about the fact that you have possessions? And as we look at the life of Abram, and especially as it follows now from this return from Egypt where he had gone because of a famine and his collection of goods along the way, first he had originally come from Ur of the Chaldees, which was in, Bab in, in Iraq, modern-day Iraq, and then he had gone north to an area that I believe would be north of Syria or maybe the northwestern part of Iraq, um, Haran, and had accumulated more wealth there. And then comes down to Canaan. There was a famine. He goes to Egypt, gets more wealth there. Now he's returning to Canaan, and he has all of these different elements of wealth. Now there's a part of us that when we think about Abram and his wealth may think, I don't know, but he lived so long ago, like back in the Stone Ages or whatever, and like, he just doesn't face the same kind of temptations that, or issues that we might think of when we think of wealth. I mean, we think of cars, computers, cell phones, um, entertainment, being able to go on vacations. Like, that just seems so out of line for Abram. And yet you can realize, even with what we've learned so far about Abram and his money, that he had silver and gold. So he had the, the ability to buy things from other people, a means of exchange. He had land. He had lots of animals, so wealth that would provide amazing meal, meals. And he had large numbers of people who worked for him. Um, he had kind of like a corporation going here, like a big business. 
So Abram had a lot of things. And as we go to this next stage of Abram's story, this is in Genesis chapter 13. I won't read it all. I'll summarize. If you want to follow along, it's in Genesis 13 verses 1 to 18. So Abram has all of this stuff. And it says that he ultimately came to a place called Bethel. And he had, uh, while there, he placed an altar. He built an altar, and there he began to call upon the name of the Lord, which meant he talked about God. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. He was willing to publicly say, I'm on God's side. God is on my side, right? Well, Lot was there with him, and Lot had a lot of stuff too. And you might know this. This is one of the classic Sunday school stories that Abram and Lot both had lots of stuff. Their servants were getting in each other's way, and so Lot says, Abram says to Lot, you're welcome to go wherever you want. <clears throat> Lot picked the beautiful area down in the river valley of the Jordan, which was like the Garden of Eden, so lush it was. And Abram stayed where he was, took second choice, took the land on the top, more the plateau or the hills overlooking the valley. So as that played out, um, you can see Abram's attitude toward wealth, his willingness to let Lot go his own way. And then God talked to Abram. Here's what he said. Look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring. I'm going to make your offspring like the dust of the earth, like you won't be able to count it. And then God said, go, go, walk, walk through the, the land because I'm giving it to you. If you were to pick a spot wherever you live and look around to the north, to the south, to the east and the west, and to hear that all of this is going to be yours, would you feel wealthy? Like, wow, Abram was given a ton of stuff by God. Now, when you think about those circumstances in the life of Abram, evaluate this approach to wealth. Someone who truly loves the Lord will sell everything he has and give all his money to the poor. What do you think? Is that what Abram should have done? When we look at his story, we become very convinced that this is not what Abram ultimately did. What someone might say is, well, but, you know, he had, he had that kind of an attitude where he was willing to give up everything when he and Lot had the choice of the better land and he might have gotten more cash if he had taken the better option. He was willing to let it go. I think what you see in Abram, though he did not give up everything he had and give it all to the poor in that moment, is that his heart was very much thinking, how can I use what I have in order to be a blessing to others? Or, said another way, how can I make sure that I continue to honor God's will for my life even as someone who has wealth? In fact, as someone who has wealth, how can I honor God's will in my life, right? And so he let Lot choose, even though it might have meant a big loss personally for him because he knew that God wanted him to be unselfish. One might also say, well, it was God himself who gave all of this to Abram. So should Abram have felt guilty about the fact that 
Now God said, all this land, whichever direction you look, is going to be yours and belong to your family through the generations. Should he have said, oh, no, I'm sorry, God. I must give all of this away immediately. It's wrong for me to possess wealth. But it, it wasn't wrong for Abram to be a wealthy man. God makes clear that wealth itself is not inherently evil. In a way, it's very similar to if you recognize that you had a particular talent. Maybe you were really, really good at playing the piano. And you said, wow, like, I know that I'm able to play the piano and I, I recognize that there are some other people who maybe aren't quite as musical and there maybe is a temptation to pride because of that. And so my solution is to completely give away all of my ability to play the piano. And maybe that means by just hiding it, not telling anyone about it. Maybe it means by purposefully not practicing anymore so that you truly become not as good because you don't want to be proud about it. You don't want to be... And so what do you do? You give it all away? Never. Right? With a gift. If one of your children has the ability to do something, you're saying, this is a gift from God. I want you to use this. Find a way to use this to God's glory. To keep on using it to God's glory. And so in a similar way with wealth, we would not say that simply having that gift from God makes it inherently evil, that you should feel uncomfortable about it, that you should try to get rid of it as quickly as possible. You know, I wonder if one of the reasons that we're tempted to think about things this way is because there's actually a verse in the Bible that says, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Probably knew that. And it's in Matthew chapter 19. Let's take a look at that just to find out if we're really understanding that right when thinking, well, how come Abram didn't do that? And he must be sinning or it must be wrong ever to hang on to anything that God has given you for longer than 24 hours. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 has that man coming up to Jesus and this rich young ruler, and he asks a question. He says, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Well, Jesus first said, why are you asking me about what's good? And there's only one who's good God. And so Jesus was kind of showing him that he was already like acknowledging that Jesus was someone special, which was a good thing, whether he realized it or not. But the man then says, after Jesus says, well, um, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. And the man says, well, which, which commandments uh, should I be obeying? And Jesus says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father, mother, love your neighbor as yourself, right? From the Ten Commandments, and the man says, I've done it. Is there anything else? What else do I lack? Now, already there, you might say, well, like, did he really do all of that perfectly? Did he have proper thoughts and all of the rest, right? So, but Jesus didn't approach it that way. Instead, what Jesus said to him is, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So, so there it is. There it is, right? That in order, that, that's the 11th, 11th commandment, that you must sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Is, is, is that the point here? That having wealth is inherently a problem and you need to get rid of it as quickly as you can. 
Well, if that was the lesson, uh, one of our children, when, if for example, he gets, you know, maybe 10 extra minutes before he has to go to bed or something like that, I'm like, can I have that, Dad? And the dad says, yes. Yeah. So you go like this. Yes! There were a bunch of people listening to Jesus talk to this rich young ruler. And those people were poor. They had given up everything. Jesus' disciples. Can you imagine all of them standing in the background when they heard Jesus say this? Um, and think, yes! Because Jesus then went on to say, it's very hard for a rich man to get into heaven. It's hard, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Can you see the disciples saying, yes, yes, because we're not rich. Instead, the disciples were astonished at what Jesus said and asked him, who then can be saved? <laughs> Wait a second. He just told you, riches keep you from being saved. You're poor, you get to heaven. But that's not what Jesus was saying. And the disciples didn't understand Jesus to be saying that. What did they understand Jesus to be saying? They understood the real issue here. What Jesus was demonstrating to this rich young ruler who thought he, by his own ability, obedience, status, whatever, would be able to get into a right relationship with God, he said, there's nothing that a human can do that will make him satisfactory to God. Not, not even being really wealthy, but nothing. Obedience will never, because it's imperfect, be enough. And the disciples, as they saw this happening, and somebody who they thought, well, surely he is evidence of wealth. He's somebody who's very much on, on, on God's good side. That not the physical possession of, the ability to gain it, not a human capacity to do anything. In, in fact, that's what Jesus said to the disciples. He said, with man, this is impossible. You cannot, by your own power, get yourself to heaven. But with God, all things are possible. The point of Jesus' words to this rich young ruler uh, was not, having possessions is inherently evil. His point to this rich young ruler, he saw his heart, was that his heart was not attached to God. It was attached to his things. Let's go back then to the story of Abraham. This, this rich man, Abram. So, in chapter 14 of Genesis, there are a bunch of kings, and they've got names, and they ruled over places, and there, were, there was a competition. There were kings that were ultimately fighting against other kings. And some of the kings were ruling the area where Lot, Abram's nephew, was living. So those kings go to fight against the other kings, and guess what? The kings that were ruling over the area Lot was living... They lost, and big time. There were tar pits nearby as the soldiers were running away so they wouldn't get killed. Some of them fell into the tar pits. Others of them ran to the hills. And what was one of the consequences of this battle? It says, they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Well, Lot is captured. Someone who was watching all of this happen runs to Abram. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and Honor, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan on the north side of the country. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Havna, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods 
of those who had captured them. All of them were taken back and brought back his relative lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. Wow, Abram's the hero, right? Takes on kings, their armies, with his army. Now, if Abram had followed the advice that Jesus later gave to the rich young ruler, well, how would you finish that sentence? If before this moment, Abram had followed the advice that Jesus had given to the rich young ruler, he wouldn't have had 318 trained military men. He wouldn't have had anything. He wouldn't have been able to show love. And Jesus' words to that rich young ruler were never intended to suggest, remember, that wealth in itself is inherently evil. Abram's possession of wealth positioned him to do the greatest good. Now, what do we respect about what Abram did? He was willing to put his security system on the line. I mean, that was his you know, cameras and alarms on his house. That was his uh, software to keep viruses from infecting his computer, his 318 trained men. He put them at risk in order to help a fellow human being. He took his wealth and put it at risk in order to be a blessing to other people. Abram's heart, to what was it connected? Not at all to his things. He saw his things as a way to shine the light of the Lord on the world around him. Now this story goes on. After Abram returned from defeating Kedor, Laomer, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is, the king's valley. But then there was another king that came to meet him. Now, you might have heard this name, Melchizedek. If you're interested in reading more about him, he was a type of Christ, of the Messiah to come. And the writer to the Hebrews tells us a ton about that. But here at this moment, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, also known as Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine for Abram. It says that he was a priest of God Most High. Now, you might be thinking, how in the world was there a priest of the true God in the land of Canaan where, what, 600 years later, they were full of people who had rejected the Lord, were committing idolatry, and the Israelites were supposed to go in and kill them to preserve themselves spiritually. A priest of the Most High God in Jerusalem? 2,000 years before Christ? Well, obviously at the beginning, Adam and Eve, everybody knew the true God. And then Noah and his sons, when they were the only ones now after the flood, everyone knew the true God. So the word had gotten out in some way. There were, there were people who knew the true God and worshipped him. So here we have a representative of God. And he has a message for this man, wealthy man, Abram. Blessed be Abram by God Most High. Melchizedek is speaking good words. Blessed be Abram by this man who had used what he had in order to show love to a nephew. God is saying, Amen. Way to go, Abram. He isn't saying, Wait a second. Did you not give all of your stuff to the poor yesterday? Right? Like, not at all. 
He's, he's saying, you used what I've given you to my glory. And then Melchizedek goes on. Blessed be Abram by God, most high creator of heaven and earth. Because God gave Abram anything, everything. He's the creator, right? He owns it all. Oh, that's right. This was not Abram's wealth, really. This was God's wealth being used with Abram as his manager of that wealth. Blessed be God most high, Melchizedek says. Yes, praise be to the Lord who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram's saying, no, 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 my trained men. And Melchizedek is, no, no. Yes, we use what we have. We can take on big projects. We can pool our wealth to give glory to God. But in the end, if anything is ever accomplished, it is not by our power. It is purely the power of God which brought about this blessing for Abram. Then Abram gave to Melchizedek a tenth of everything. He gave a gift to God of what God had given to him. And now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people that you've rescued, but keep all of the stuff for yourself, the plunder. Abram said to the king of Sodom, Actually, I made a promise. I made a promise to the Lord. I raised my hand on oath with a vow to the Lord. Uh, the God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth, I promised him that I will accept nothing that belongs to you, not even a thong from a sandal. And why? So that you would never be able to say I made Abram rich. What was Abraham doing there? Abram was saying, I know that everything I have comes from God. I don't want anyone to be able to conclude that the reason I have what I have is because another king gave me a bunch of stuff. He wanted all of the glory for what he had to go to the giver of what he had to God. Abram, reflecting an understanding of his possessions, these belong to God, not me. Now he said, if you want to give something to the individuals who uh, fought um, the men that went with me, you're welcome to give them something, but, but not me. I don't need anything. All right, so if Abram wasn't feeling guilty about being wealthy, what was he feeling? Just as you think about the story that I've just shared, what, what pieces of that story offer a peek into the heart of Abram? And the fact that he was willing to put his wealth on the line in order to help someone else to potentially lose his security system, which then meant he could have lost everything. The, the fact that he was willing to set aside the chance to get a ton more money, that wasn't what was most important to him. He wanted the name of God to be glorified. The fact that he honored those who spoke the word of God to him and wanted to support them, he... He saw what was a priority. I mean, Abram was a rich man. Just think if he had 318 men within that age who could serve well as soldiers. They both had a mom and dad because these guys were all born within his household. So that's at least like a thousand people just to start with. And then all of the girls and boys and older who were not of that, that age group. Right? We're thinking of a corporation. Right? Abram was the CEO of a corporation that had more than a thousand maybe a lot more, employees, people that were part of his team. This was a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy man. The heart of that man was all 
about using what God had given him to serve others. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. If God has given to us, how are we able to use what God has given in order to truly serve those around us in whatever ways they most need it? So many can say, I'm wealthy, even if you're not a millionaire. Whatever you have been given, may the Lord use it through you to bring glory to his name. Let's close with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us appreciate that every gift we have comes from you. Please help us trust you, be content with what we have, and use what we have in whatever ways we can to honor your will, your perfect plan for our possessions. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.